Well, last week we began a new series that we've called Margins, Making Space for What Matters Most in Life. And I think that that's something we all want. I think that it's something we all need. Because if we don't have enough margin in our life, we find ourselves either messing up or missing out on the things that matter most. Take this document, for instance. I wasn't here last week. I was in Egypt, and I asked God if he would send me my notes so I could read on what he preached on last week. And, and when I did and I printed it off, I didn't have any margin in the document. And because I didn't have any margin in the document, I missed some vital points of what Scott was saying last week. When we don't have enough margin in our life, we are going to miss out on important things and we're going to mess up in our life. Now last week, Pastor Scott talked about moral margins and he told us how to avoid moral failure. And he gave us five truths that I think each and every one of us should apply to our life. He said we need to surround ourselves with the right people. Bad corrupt company corrupts good character. He told us that we need to avoid exhaustion. When we are serving or working out of exhaustion, we will have an tendency to mess up. He told us to be careful of pride, to set boundaries in our life and then not cross them, and finally to ask God for God's help. And if we do those things, then we will be able to maintain those moral margins in our life that will keep us from falling and failing. But today, I want us to look at time. We're going to move from morals to time because just like morals, time is something that affects each and every one of us. Now, I'm sure you know that the Bible speaks a lot about time. We are told about an appointed time, an acceptable time. In other words, there are certain times in life that are already set. We are told that there is a time for every purpose under heaven. In other words, we have enough time to do everything God wants us to do. We are told that there are those who understand the times and that we should seek to discern the times. We are told no one knows the amount of time they have. And Paul told us that our time is short. There is even an entire chapter in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 3, that is devoted to the topic of time. You see, how we spend our time is a big deal. And it's a big deal for everyone. We even have a field of study called time management. And almost every business in America will at times hire consultants that will come in to teach their employees how to better manage their time. A USA Today poll asked a group of mothers what they needed most. And the most popular answer that mothers gave, 32%, was more time. Mothers needed more time. Time is, is one of those things that, that none of us ever feel like we have enough of. Unfortunately, it is one of those things that is a fixed commodity. Every one of us have the same amount of time. We have 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, 52 weeks in a year. That's what we have, each and every one of us. A.W. Tozier said this, he said, time is a resource that is non-renewable and non-transferable. 
You cannot store it, slow it up, hold it up, divide it up, or give it up. You can't hoard it up or save it for a rainy day. When it's lost, it's unrecoverable. When you kill time, remember it has no resurrection. The truth is, the only difference between one person and another in regard to time is what they do with their time. We can waste it or we can use it. Benjamin Franklin said, do not squander time for it is the stuff that life is made of. That's why the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 5. Listen to his words in verses 15 and 16. He said, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The King James says it this way. It says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Just as Jesus redeemed us from our sin, we are to redeem our time. In other words, we should take the same thing that the people of this world use for evil and use it for God's glory. We should see our time as a holy commodity given to us by God as a gift. And so my question I want us to answer this morning is this. How can we redeem the time? How can we make the most of our time? Because if this is the only thing that, that really separates us from other people, then how can we use our time wisely? How can we make the most of it? Well, on your note sheet, you have four blanks. I want to tell you in advance, I'm going to give you six. And so you're going to have to pay attention or you're going to miss something. Now, the first one is one there on your note sheet, and that is this. You need to treat every day as a gift because it could be your last. Let me say that again. You treat every day as a gift because that day could be your last. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. He said, relish life each and every day. Each day is God's gift. Make the most of each one. Now, most translations translate that word relish as enjoy. We need to enjoy life. We need to enjoy each and every day. And listen, the only day that you and I can really enjoy is today. You can't enjoy yesterday, it is only a memory. You can't enjoy tomorrow, it is only a possibility. The only day that you can truly enjoy is today. So make the most of it, because our time is limited. David said this, he said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Let me say that again, remind me. How brief on, on earth my time is. That's why it's so important for you and I to enjoy each and every day, each and every moment of our lives. Too many of us live our lives today preparing to enjoy it one day, someday. But for some of us, that day never comes. We waited too long. We were too busy making money so that one day we could enjoy our life. We were too busy doing other things instead of enjoying our life. And we never made it to that time when we were saying that we were going to enjoy life. 
There is a country song. The title is Live Like You Were Dying. And this is the way the song starts. He said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me. And one moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next day looking at the x-rays, talking about the options and talking about sweet times. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the end. How's, how did it hit you when, when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you think? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And then listen to what he says, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, some days I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. The truth is, every one of us are dying. And we need to live our life each and every day like we were dying. Don't spend your entire life working hard, making money, so that one day, someday, you can enjoy retirement. Learn to enjoy life right now. Life is too short to be depressed. Life is too short to be discouraged. Life is too short to be defeated, to be angry, to be sad. You name it. Sure, bad things happen to us. But we can learn to get over those bad things with God's help. And we can move on enjoying the life that God has given us. I'm not telling you to forget the pains of the past because you can't do that. I'm not telling you to not prepare for the future. That would be absolutely foolish. But what I am telling you is to enjoy the day, this day. Make the most of it. When you get up in the morning, if you're married, kiss your spouse on the lips, even if she has morning breath. Look up a corny joke and, and tell your kids a joke. Play a board game with your family. Discover fun things to do. Treat life as a gift. Because that's what it is. We're not promised tomorrow. Now let me give you another T that I came up with after I emailed them <laughs> this note sheet from Egypt. The second T is this. If you're going to really make the most of life, you need to trust God in everything. You've got to trust Him in everything. Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon is sharing what he has discovered about time. And, and this is what Solomon says. He says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Now what does Solomon mean when he says that? A time for everything, a season for every activity. Here's what Solomon was saying. He was saying that God uses both the good and the bad, the pleasant and the unpleasant to accomplish his perfect will in our life. Then as you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you will notice that, that Sodom lists 14 contrasts in life. He says there is a time to be born and a time to die. Each of us have a birthday, and, and though we may not like to think about it or talk about it, we also have a death day. He says there's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Some of us can do that better than others. He said there's a time to embrace and a time to reframe, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to speak up and a time to be silent. Some of us struggle with getting those backwards, don't we? 
says there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. I tell my wife that a lot. There's a time to love, and he even says there's a time to hate. And we never hate people, but we, we do hate things that God hates. The Bible says God hates a lying tongue. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a man that stirs up dissension among his brothers. We're even told that God hates divorce because of the pain it causes. He tells us there's a time for war, there's a time for peace. What is Solomon saying? Solomon is saying life is a combination of good and bad. Life is a combination of fun and sad. Life is a combination of painful and enjoyable. That's what life is. But God can bring good even out of the bad. Notice what Solomon discovered in verse 11. He said God makes everything happen at the right time. Yet none of us can fully understand all he has done. Did you get that? God makes everything happen at the right time. Another translation says it this way. God made everything beautiful in its own time. In other words, there are things that happen here and now that we look at and we say this isn't beautiful. There is nothing possibly beautiful about this. But God makes everything beautiful in its own time. The Apostle Paul discovered the same truth in Romans 8. He said, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. You see, all too often we only see the painful process while God sees the end result. Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. We can spend our entire lives wondering why certain things happen and, and never have the answers or we can trust God and we can believe that he loves us and he is ultimately in control. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is talking about the hardships and struggles he has gone through and believe me, Paul went through hardships and struggles that you and I can't even imagine. But I want you to listen to what he said in spite of all that. He says this happened so that we might learn to trust not in ourselves, but in God. Listen very carefully. If you don't learn how to trust God in all circumstances of life, the good and the bad, you will become overcome by your circumstances and eventually you will become a bitter person. Did you hear me? If you don't learn to trust God in everything, even the horrific things, you're going to be overcome and eventually you're going to become bitter. The next truth. This is the I. Invest your time. Don't just spend it. Jesus said it this way. He said first be concerned about his kingdom. God's kingdom and what he has his approval. Then all these things will be provided for you. In other words you seek God first. And, and God will make sure everything else takes care of itself. When the apostle Paul was coming to the end of his life and he felt like his life was about over he was writing a letter to his son in the ministry Timothy and, and this is what he said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 he said now the time has come for me to die my life is like a drink offering being poured out on the altar I have fought well I have finished the race and I have been faithful can that be said of you I have fought well I have finished the race been faithful in Acts 13 it's talking about David and it says this about David for David served God's purpose in his own time and then he died in other words 
David's life was focused on, focused on fulfilling God's will, God's plan. And when he had done that, he died. Years ago, Charles Hummel wrote a very important article entitled The Tyranny of the Urgent. And he made this statement. We all think we need a 30-hour day to cope with life. But would a 30-hour day really solve the problem? Wouldn't we soon be just as frustrated as we are now with the 24-hour allotment? Our dilemma goes deeper than a shortage of time. It is basically the problem of priorities. Did you get that? Our problem isn't a shortage of time. Our problem is misplaced priorities. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, it means we are spending our time on temporal things rather than investing our time on eternal things. We must always ask ourselves, what is the best use of our time? Not simply what is permissible or even what is good, but what is best. This past week when we were in Egypt, we had the opportunity to meet a number of people who had made the decision not just to spend their lives, but to invest their lives. One of them was Dr. Ahib Shakif, or Shafiq. He's the director of a, of a hospital in Aswan, Egypt. He's a believer, an Egyptian believer. He is a pharmacist, and he was living in Alexandria. He had a private practice, and he was making a lot of money. And one day he said, God woke him up and he said, do I really want to find myself turning 70, having made a lot of money and yet wasted my life? Here he was well off, a good living, realizing I'm living life like everybody else, but I'm wasting my life. It was at that time that he surrendered to do whatever God told him to do. And he packed up his family and he went to a place that is a difficult place to live, to run a hospital that sees 10,000 patients a month, a Christian hospital. It's, it's maybe the only one in, I think it's the only one in Egypt maybe. But they have verses on every single wall in every single room. And the overwhelming amount of people, well over 90% of the people that they see in a given month, are the people group that we have adopted to reach. They are ministering to that group. He chose to invest his life in what was important rather than just spend his life on the temporal. And each and every one of us are going to have to ask ourselves that same question. There, there are some of you in this room today who are retired and yet you're in good health. And you've got to ask yourself this question. Am I going to spend the rest of the time that God has given me just coasting through life, going on cruises, having fun, and there's nothing wrong with those things? Or am I going to discover how I can invest my life and make an eternal difference? Did you know there are places out there in conjunction with our International Mission Board, where you could go and give a month or two months or three months of your time serving our missionaries? There are all kinds of things that you can do. You say, I don't have any training. You don't have to have any training to do that. 
You just have to have a heart that is open and, and loving to people. That hospital that we were at, there was a German girl there, a young girl in her 20s, that was using her vacation to serve as a nurse at that hospital. A young 20-something-year-old giving her vacation up to serve Jesus and serve people. By the way, that's a hospital that, that if any of our people are, are medically trained and you said, I want to serve, you could probably serve there for a week, for two weeks, for a lifetime. Invest your life. Don't just spend it. The fourth thing, manage your time wisely. Develop a schedule. A survey was conducted by U.S. News and World Report back in the 80s, and I know this was a long time ago, but it said the average American in their lifetime will spend eight months opening junk mail, six months sitting at stoplights, one year looking for misplaced objects. Where are my keys? Two years playing phone tag, five years, listen to this, five years waiting in line. wonder how many of those years are at the DMV. But those aren't the big time wasters for us today. If we're honest, we would have to admit that there are things in our schedule that have no real value, but we do them and they keep us from more important things. I mean, like spending an hour, two hours, three hours in front of the TV. And trust me, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with that if you make excuses and say, I don't have time to have a daily quiet time. I don't have time to spend time in prayer. I don't have time to, to, to get involved in a discipleship group. I don't have time for those things. And yet, we have time for that. We waste time surfing the internet. We, we waste time playing these, these video games. We end up wasting time. That's why David said, teach us to use wisely all the time we have. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 4. He said, plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. What that means is we need to develop a schedule. I mean, just like we're going to see next week about developing a budget for our money, if we don't want to waste time, we need to develop a schedule. I want to encourage you to begin the habit of sitting down every Sunday night or, or some other day if it's more convenient and decide your weekly schedule. What are you going to do that week? Now, I know there are lots of things that are fixed. I mean, if you have to be at work at 8 and you're working till 5, Monday through Friday, that's fixed in there. But what's not fixed is when you leave that place of your employment at 5 o'clock. What's not fixed is, is when you get up in the morning before you go into work. What's not fixed is what you do on that Saturday, what you do on that Sunday. That's not fixed. And so every week, sit down and develop a schedule. Because if you don't decide how you're going to use your time, here's what I know, somebody else will. You're going to always find people who are going to tell you this is what you need to do. Now, as your schedule, let me give you a couple of things. One, you need to plan time for God. I think for every Christ follower, that 
includes going to church regularly, getting involved in a, in a life group, some kind of small group. It includes reading your Bible daily. How can you really know what God has to say on issues if you're not reading it? I mean, Googling verses isn't going to get you deep in the Word of God. You've got to spend time praying in prayer, you not only speak to God, but I'm here to tell you God will speak to you. So you got to make time for God. you got to have family time. If you ignore your family, you're going to lose your family. You need to take time to exercise. The Bible says that physical exercise profiteth little, but it does profit, amen? I mean, you need to take care of your health. Get out and walk around your neighborhood. Join a gym. Do something. Maintain your health. I mean, ultimately, God decides how long we're going to live. But I got to tell you, I want to be healthy as long as I'm alive because I want to make the best use of my time. And so we develop a schedule. Now, as you develop the schedule, you need to remember this. And this is the next point. Even though you develop a schedule, you're going to have interruptions. And so this is the point. As you try to use your time wisely, expect divine interruptions. That's not the E that you're going to put down. That's another E. Okay? <laughs> expect divine interruptions interruptions especially if you're seeking to invest your life and not just spend your life we see this over and over again in the life of Jesus we see it over and over again in the life of Paul Jesus would be going somewhere to do something extremely important and on his way he would be interrupted there would be something else that would happen he would be at a meal with his disciples, eating. And all of a sudden, a lady would come and say, Heal my daughter. And Jesus had to be ready for those divine interruptions. The Apostle Paul. I mean, when he was ministering to Philippi, and, and they were teaching the Word, and they were proclaiming the good news, and there was this girl that was possessed by a demon that was just following them around, always interrupting, always always just causing frustration and Paul finally had to deal with it and cast out the demon <laughs> expect divine interruptions sometimes understand God puts these interruptions in your life because he's about to show up in your life in a powerful way and to show you something special and so understand when these interruptions come Look and see if it's a God interruption. Now, everyone isn't. And you know that. Some people are just time hawks, aren't they? Have you seen the commercial? You know, the commercial that says, hey, do you know somebody that repairs roofs? They say, yeah, I think I do. Great. Would you call them up and schedule it for next Tuesday at 8 o'clock in the morning? Have you seen that? I mean, there's some people that just, that they want to control your time. And if you don't do everything that they think you should do, then God forbid you're on their bad side. What I've discovered is all they've got is a bad side. Okay? There are people like that. Those aren't the people that you let interrupt your time and take you from what God wants you to do. 
But those things where there are needs, where God is going to show up, where God is going to do something. Oh, goodness. Don't get so busy with your schedule that you forget that God may have a better plan in place. And then the final truth is this. And that is expect to be held accountable for how you use your time. Someone once said, it's not what's expected, but what's inspected that gets done. One day, God is going to inspect each and every one of us. I want you to listen to what it says in Romans 14. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One day, you and I will give an account on how we have used our time, what we did with every second we have. Now, why is God going to, to judge us in regard to our time? The primary reason is because your time is your life. Once it's gone, it's gone. When you waste your time, you're wasting your life. When you're killing your time, you're killing your life. And notice, each of us are going to give an account. No one is excluded. The believer is going to be held accountable and the non-believer is going to be held accountable for how we use our time. Now granted, I'm not saved because of what I do. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross and God's grace in offering and extending that to you. But you will be judged even as a believer for what you do, how you live, and how you use your time. Don't think that just because we are saved by grace, we can spend the rest of our lives pursuing temporal gains. We can't. Eternity is too important. Expect to give an account of how you use your time. Here's what I know. God has given you all the time you need to accomplish everything He wants you to accomplish. And yet many of us are going to fall far short of what it is God wants us to accomplish. Not because we didn't have enough time, but because we were spending rather than investing. We didn't schedule. We didn't, we didn't look, expect the, for those divine interruptions. And we ended up wasting our time. Don't waste your time. It's precious. Would you bow your head with me? As we sit here and think about time and and having, more, having margins when it comes to our time. There's one thing I need to share with you that Paul said. He said, life is short. And he says, we don't know how much time we have. What that means is there are some of us in this room. Who perhaps have not yet given our lives to Jesus. We've not yet received his gift of grace. We've not yet experienced the, the gift of, of eternal life and, and being born again. If that's you, then, then I'm here to tell you today, don't wait because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised it. And every day, every day I'm convinced that there are people that step out into eternity 
expecting, anticipating one day to surrender their life to Jesus, but they just didn't do it when they needed to. Don't let that be you. If you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you right here and now, if the Spirit of God has is, is shown you your need, I want to encourage you right here and now to pray this prayer, giving your life to Him. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging that I need you. I am a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way. Seen by how I spend my time, how I spend my money. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I know I'll never be good enough. That's why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus today. I'm trusting your death on the cross to save me. I believe you defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. I want you to come into my heart, come into my life and change me. Make me new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to use my time to honor you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.